Is your work attire causing a style fever? The cure is clear, my friend. The Pinktastic Scrubs and Accessories from Biscare. Their collaboration with the National Breast Cancer Foundation isn't just a fashion statement, my friend. It's a prescription for change. A portion of each sale supports the National Breast Cancer Foundation. BizCare is thrilled to announce that they're sponsoring this episode of the High Performance Testing Podcast. Visit liamcaswell.com forward slash bizcare to find your nearest stockist. Remember, the best things in life are worth talking about. Talk to your friends, family, patients and colleagues about breast cancer prevention today. Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, hope you're all well. Happy Tuesday. I thought I'd come live because it's been a while since I came live. I'm slightly dying of the cold, so yeah, we'll just have to put up with me not being able to breathe. <laughs> but I wanted to come on because there's so many things happening. Hey, Danielle. Hey, JB. Welcome. I wanted to jump on and do a Q&A for all of you that are interviewing this week, applying for grads, doing all the things. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I wanted to offer an opportunity for you to ask any questions about your video interviews from MCV, your New South Wales applications that are done and dusty, but you're prepping for your interview. Maybe you're working towards Queensland Health. Now is your time. I literally can't breathe today, so you're going to have to put up with me. But I wanted to create an opportunity for you to ask any questions. So now is your time. Ask your questions away in the comments there, and I will get to them as we work through this. Don't be shy. Let's rock and roll. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. Now, many of you are applying for or have applied for PMCV and you will be interviewing this week. The online video interviews are open and it's super exciting. So if you have any questions in particular related to how do you stand out on video interview, any questions that you have about that, let me know in the comments. Whilst you do that, I'm going to take a little drink because I can't breathe and it's really annoying me. I should have not have done this today. Okay, so... Whilst you ask your questions below, bearing in mind that everybody needs to benefit from these questions for sure. So just drop them in. No question is a silly question and we will tackle them. What I have noticed in our applications, in our graduate applications and interview prep is one thing that I wanted to start off with today, which was about depth, depth of your interview responses in particular. So what I mean by depth is there's a lot of There's been a lot of discussion online, on this page in particular, about people maybe, you know, being a grad and they don't need to give too much depth. I completely disagree. And I think that if you're going to apply for your grad and you're going to go all in and you're going to get to the interview stages, that you 100% need to make sure that you give the panel your depth of your answer. So what do I mean by depth? So if we're thinking about a list style question or a star style question, or a clinical hypothetical scenario style question, we want to always give them as much information as possible 
so that we so that we show them our skill set, right? Like the whole point, the whole reason you're there is to show them that you have three years worth of skills, knowledge and experience. So an example of this would be, a bad example would be, hey, you know, this is a scenario. I was on placement at X hospital and my task was to provide comprehensive care and assess the deteriorating patient. I did this by conducting the observations and the result was that the patient got better, right? That's super basic. But trust me, people provide even more basic answers than that. So for you to stand out in the interview process, what I want you to think about is providing more depth. Now, when I talk about depth, I'm not meaning that you need to think about depth in the storytelling component. We're talking about depth in the action line section, okay? So specifically in your behavioral star questions, it would sound something more like this. The situation was that I was on placement in the emergency department at Prince Charles Hospital. And my task, the T, my task or my role was to assess a deteriorating patient using a systematic patient approach. The A line. I achieved this by, first of all, checking for danger before I entered the room. I can't breathe. Checking for danger before I entered the room. And then from there, I would be checking for response from afar. I'd be introducing myself to the patient and gaining consent to approach. I would then be washing my hands and checking for safety as I approached the patient. From there, I would systematically work through my ABCDEFG assessment or head to toe or whatever you use. And then from there, I would identify that this patient, I identified that the patient, sorry, I'm talking in clinical hypothetical scenario language, just to confuse you. So I'd be talking past tense. I did this, I did that. And then from there, I would, uh, I assessed the patient. I conducted my observations. I identified that they were tachycardic. They were hypotensive. They were diaphoretic. Okay, their cap refill was delayed. It was five seconds. They, you know, their central line looked like it was infected. So from there, I did X, Y, and Z. As a result of my comprehensive patient assessment, I identified that they were potentially suffering a sepsis. So I escalated care in a timely manner. That was butchered because I got confused in the middle. <laughs> Note to self, don't come on live when you're not feeling great. But I wanted to show you, and I hope that that gives you an idea of what an action line section should look like as a graduate nurse. Now, if you're not a grad and you're on this call, on this live call, then you definitely need to give a 100% depth in whatever you're applying for. And that's where you really show them your skill set. okay? So I don't personally think it's enough for you to just give them surface layer information when you're a third year or even an EN to be able to show them how much you have grown and developed over that period of time, okay? They want to take somebody that they're confident in their abilities. Don't confuse your clinical abilities with overconfidence. This happens all the time. Isn't that over, overconfident? No, it's not. You are a nurse. What would you do in that situation if you were presented with it? Would you stand by your response in a court of law? Could you justify the, the care you delivered in your basic answer versus your comprehensive answer? Which one would be more compelling to our panel? It would be the, the more in-depth answer, okay? So I'll stop waffling about that. You guys have sent through some questions. Keep them coming through. Super awesome. So, Jamie, the best way to approach vague scenario questions, e.g. they give you all, all they give you is pale, confused, and diaphoretic. This is a great question. Now, when they do this, they're really just looking for, this is typically a clinical hypothetical scenario, right? So how we tackle those is we literally just step people through what you would do. Now, too many of you get worried about it being perfect, okay? We're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for progression through the example. So I don't want you to worry about it being sequential in order. If you can do that, that's amazing. If you can, it's fine. 
these questions you can be on what I call the hot mess express. And it's totally fine to kind of jump around and give them your critical thinking as it comes to your brain because you're in fight or flight and that's definitely what's going to happen. So let's normalize that first step. Now, when it's a vague scenario question, the one thing that you do not want to do is you do not want to assume or diagnose. Okay, so when we are given these scenarios, we literally just step them through what you would do. So what would you do if your patient was pale, confused and diuretic? I would do exactly what I just said in the last example. The first thing that I would do is I would enter the room, I'd check for danger, I would try and get a response from afar, I would assess their airway and their patency and their ability to communicate with me, I would wash my hands because I'm always going to wash my hands, I'm going to adhere to PPE infection control practices, and I'm going to check whether or not this patient has any kind of signage outside of the room. Like, notice the detail. That's what I would prefer to hear from you from a graduate panel perspective. And then as I enter the room, I'm then going to continue to assess my patient, right? I'm going to assess them from afar. How do they look, right? What I'm going to use my senses to assess them from afar. And then from there, I'm going to conduct my full head-to-toe assessment. Now, if they're pale and they're confused and they're diaphoretic, we could have some assumptions about what could be going on. But we're nurses, we're not doctors, so we're not here to diagnose. So what we're going to do is we're going to give them our critical thinking. So I'd be assessing their airway and I'd be looking for X, Y, and Z. Right. Is it patent? Is it clear from obstruction? Be breathing. Now, if they're pale and they're confused, I could be worried about the fact that maybe they have low oxygen saturations. Maybe they're hypoxic. Use the language as much as you possibly can. So from there, I'd be assessing their respiratory rate. I'd grab a stethoscope and I'd auscultate their chest. I would check their effort and I'd be really concerned about the saturations. Notice what I'm not doing. I'm not saying, oh, their saturations are 84% I put oxygen on. I'm not doing that because we don't have that information, okay? So I'm just going to say, well, based on the confusion, they could be hypoxic because they could be having like a hypoxic brain thing. So let me go there. That's what I'm thinking. And then in circulation, they're diaphoretic. Okay, so why are they diaphoretic? Are they having a sepsis? I'd be really concerned about their heart rate. Do they have a peripheral pulse? Is it a brachial pulse? Is it a central pulse? And I'd be stepping them through my critical analysis of this patient. Okay, and I'll be stepping them through the whole process. So this question is a tricky one because they're not giving you enough. But I want you to remember, and this is what always saves me when I'm in interviews and seems to help a lot of people. When you're in an interview and they ask you a question like this, it's really just more about the process. They just want to see that you can critically think. And it's also a myth that we need more information to be able to care for somebody. Think about it. Somebody drops in front of you at a supermarket and they're having a cardiac arrest. You don't need to know anything about them other than the fact that you're going to jump on their chest and do CPR until you get more information about them. So take what you have and run with it. We can give them potential ideas of what we might think they might be experiencing, but we want to avoid the diagnosing. Okay, I hope that helps, Jamie. Let me know if that helps. Of course, at the back end of that scenario, we'd be documenting, we'd be escalating, we'd be continuing our observations, we'd do our primary survey, our secondary survey, they're diaphoretic, they're confused, we might be looking for other sources of infection, we might go and look at their blood work. Think about how deep you can go with this example. Such a good question. Danielle, hey Danielle, hope you're well. How can I present my own personality over a video interview? Great question. All I would say is based on the amount of like lives I've done and all of this, like all of the things I'm doing right now, like hyper, like smiling, schmizing, like with your eyes, showing your top half of your body, ideally, like preferably you'd be able to show them more of you so that they can engage and it's not just a head. And I would always think about using my hands as well. The other way that you can do that is to speak you. 
just show up as you. They're not looking for a performance. They're not looking for, you know, the idyllic, perfect graduate nurse. They're looking to meet you and they want to feel your energy. They want to feel safe in your presence. So if I was sitting here kind of like really shy and scared and nervous and all of the things, I'm less likely to make the panel feel at ease. So think about how you present yourself. Think about over-exaggerating the things that you're doing. And in particular, think about talking slowly so that the panel are not like, what, what did they say? And make sure that your internet and all of the things are all lined up beautifully. But that's how I would tackle personality. It's just be you. I know it sounds so vague. It's like, oh, just be you. It's so like shitty, shitty advice, Liam. But literally just be you. <laughs> just show up as you. Have fun. Joke. If you need to joke to kill the, the atmosphere and to make you comfortable, do that. Do all of the things, just show up as you. Stevie, I've, if asked about difficult co-workers, how's the best way to answer this? I'm so worried I'll get this question and not know how to answer it. Oh, this is a good one. So, difficult co-workers. We talked about this last week in the Graduate Career Launch Programme, actually, because we were talking about how to set up your best example for dealing with difficult people. And there's a few of them in healthcare, right? Patients, relatives, and also co-workers. So if you're in a behavioral star question, right, can you tell us about a time where you have dealt with a difficult patient, relative, or a difficult person in the healthcare setting? If it's very vague and ambiguous, I want you to adhere to this rule. Never go to a coworker. Pick an example from a patient, a relative, and run with that, okay, or a visitor. Where possible, avoid the co-worker confrontation. And the reason why is because we don't want them to come to a conclusion that maybe you were the problem, okay? But if they specifically ask you, how do you deal with difficult co-workers? First of all, we want to identify what type of a question that is, okay? So it depends on how the question is asked. So Stevie, in your situation, how do you deal with difficult co-workers? To me, is a behavioural star question, right? Like, tell us about a time where you've had a difficult co-worker, what did you do and why? However, if they said you've come on shift and you've got a, you're working with an EN and the EN says that they've done the observations and that they're fine, but the observations aren't fine and you go and check them and the patient's actually, you know, between the flags of whatever you call in your state and territory, what would you do? Then you have kind of permission to go in to give them what you would set them through, okay? So we want to be very neutral with these questions. We want to remove all of the emotional charge. We want to keep it super factual. That would be my top, top tip for this. So for example, how do you deal with difficult co-workers? I would say, you know, recently during my time working on, you know, acute, medic acute medical ward, I had a RN buddy who was, you know, an RN buddy who disagreed with my assessment of my patient. My role was to clarify my findings and to listen to my buddy's perspective. Like, notice it's not like, well, she said this and he said that and they did that. We want none of that in the interview. And then uh, what did I do? What was my action? So I achieved this by engaging my therapeutic relationship skills. I was actively listening to my RN buddies um, process, their evidence that they'd collected and their rationale for why they would take a different approach. I uh, used this as an opportunity to advocate for myself. I actively tried to de-escalate the situation because my buddy seemed quite distraught and frustrated with my interpretation. And I did this by just remaining calm and kind and clear 
in my in my evidence. And from here, where we're able to come to some sort of agreement about the patient care moving forwards, and we use the evidence base in the local policy to achieve this. Now, if it doesn't end like that, you can go, you know, it escalated, and I felt compelled to talk to my clinical facilitator about it, because based on our learnings and our teachings within the evidence base, this is exactly the pathway that we should be taking. As a result, I was able to escalate and deal with conflict, de-escalate conflict, but also escalate patient care to promote patient safety. So Stevie, let me know if that lands, like as an example, just to give you an idea of like removing the emotional charge, keeping it neutral, and making sure that we always position ourselves in a way that doesn't make us the problem, okay? Because I'll tell you what happens when we lead with things like, well, you know, like my buddy said this and I was like, re like really annoyed. Like, trust me, people say it. You wouldn't think people say it, but they do say it and they throw themselves under the bus. And the panel are left feeling like, is this person going to be a problem? Is this a red flag? Okay, whether or not it is, they're going to make up their own mind. So Stevie, let me know if that resonates. There's so many of you that have joined us. So I'm trying to work through all of this, but let me know if that resonates with you. Hi, everybody. Let me know what questions you have about interview questions, panels, applications, graduate applications, doesn't have to be grad stuff, it can be nurse stuff. We help all the peeps. Jamie, thanks, you're welcome. Stevie, also what keywords do panels look for when you're talking about weaknesses? Are they weaknesses professionally or personally? Thanks, Liam, great question. So my top tip for weaknesses and strengths. Number one, always prepare. Never ever go into an interview without weaknesses and strengths prepared. I'll tell you why. Because it is really difficult in the moment to come up with a weakness that's not detrimental to the role. Okay, under fight or flight stress pressure, you are not in a place to identify something that's not going to shoot you in the foot. So always think about it ahead of time. I always say come up with two weaknesses and two strengths. I always say start with your weaknesses first and finish with your strengths. I've given you all the top tips today. So weakness first, then strengths. From there, you want to think about weaknesses that you have particularly identified over the last couple of years that you are actively working on and that you're conscious and self-aware of that are not detrimental to the role, okay? For example, as a graduate nurse, I could say, over the last three years, I've identified that time management was something that I really needed to work on. It was one of my weaknesses when I started this degree. But over the last three years and six placements across acute nursing care and the community, I've been able to really hone in my time management skills. I've done this by using time planners and I've done this by coordinating with the team, planning ahead of time and being flexible and adaptable. Whilst time planning and time management is still an ongoing thing that I'm working on, I'm definitely much improved from when I started my degree. So notice how it's a weakness, like it's an honest weakness. It's something that you have absolutely been working on over the last few years. And it's something that moving forward, you're continuing to work on. It's much better than being like, oh, I'm just terrible with time management, right? Or I just really don't like people. <laughs> I've heard it all. Really don't like people. Or I really find it difficult to write comprehensive notes. We want to show them what we're doing with the weakness. So another one could be, I have a really difficult time delegating. Like over the last three years, it's, I've identified that one of my weaknesses has been delegation. And what I've found is that over each placement, as I've built my skills, knowledge and experience, and I've gathered all the information and the evidence based practice, and I've been on placement and I've been growing my skill set, that I've been more 
I'm open to delegating care as I've built my confidence. So even though it's something that I'm still working on, it's something that I'm conscious of and it's something that I keep chipping away at to make sure that I can deliver the safest patient care. Right, so I've highlighted a weakness, but it's not detrimental to the role because I'm actively working on it and I'm aware of it. And then now that I've given them one or two weaknesses, you don't have to give them both. You can keep one up your sleeve, but one weakness. Then I can go and my strengths and we can finish off on a positive. We want to leave them with what we want them to remember. We don't want them to remember your weakness. We want them to remember your strength. Okay, they're taking notes so they're going to remember both. But we want them to be like wowed by your strengths. So then we dive into our strengths and we say, you know, my strength is really about being a compassionate and kind clinician. I really pride myself on my ability to meet patients where they're at, to help them improve their, their, their patient experience. And here's a little example of how I've done that. And that's why this is my strength. I've received positive feedback about it. My mentors always commend me on it. And I think that this would be really applicable to working at the Royal Children's, right? And always tie it back to the organization where possible. So that's my plan or my strategy for strengths and weaknesses. Let me know if that helps, Stevie. Hey, everybody. Stevie says, thank you. Perfect. Do we have more questions? I would love any questions that you guys have. Don't be shy. There's a lot of you here, which is awesome. I'm typical the day that I'm not feeling 100%, but I'm showing up, right? Sometimes in life, we just got to show up and, and do the thing. And I know a lot of people at the moment are, whilst you guys are writing, a lot of people are getting in their head about interviews. A lot of people are getting so stuck in their head around examples needing to be perfect. And a lot of you will listen to me, a lot of people will listen to me in the grad career launch program. They'll listen to me on the podcast when I give examples and listen to me live. And I can reel it off like nobody's, like, like you know, like I can't even talk today. I will reel it off. I will reel it off like that because I've done it so many times. And this is just what I always remind people. You don't need to sound like me. You don't need to offer your examples like me. They need to be like you. That's one thing that we really focus on in our, all of our grad programs is helping people identify what it is that they have to offer and to communicate it in their way, using their language, right? I speak the industry language because I've done it so many times. And trust me, that's going to be hugely beneficial for you guys when you start building your career and you start applying for higher level roles. You have to speak more of the language as you build your career. But at this level, it's really about showing them what you have and why they should pick you and remembering that there are so many people that are applying. So the traditional, generic, stock standard way of applying, your applications need to sell and communicate your unique skill set. Your interviews must, must, must sell what you have and the transferability of your skills. And you must show them and convince them that you are worthwhile investing in. Now, I know you're all worthwhile investing in, right? It's a no brainer. Of course you are. You have everything that you need. But when you're up against other people, we cannot forget that, the, that it's a competition, right? That, and I don't say that to scare you. I want you to use that as motivation to be your best, to show up and to compete and to win, okay? Like that is my goal for all of you. You want to win. You've got to go in with this mindset of I am winning. I'm choosing to win. I'm doing all the work. I'm committing to it and making that a reality for myself. Taylor, I had to choose three health services, but I'm really only in driving distance for one of them, six hospitals within it. How likely is it that they will place my second or third reference preferences? This is a great question. It comes up all the time. And honestly, I don't know the answer to this, but what I will say and I say this to everybody that asks this question in some way, shape or form. If you really only have one option, right? Like it's really your only option, that one health 
service because it's the closest and it's within driving distance. I want you to ask yourself the question. You might already be doing this. But if somebody's listening and they're not, you need to ask yourself this question. How can I go all in on this one application? How can I really show them that I am perfect for their health service, their district? How can I show them that they should pick me? Right, regardless of my address, how can I make my application so irresistible to that specific employer that I am going to be chosen to move forward to the next stage? Now, I know when you are applying for the three services, like there's a fear about, oh, I need to make it generic because there's so many myths and mistruths about, you know, well, if the first preference doesn't take you, the second's definitely not going to look at you and neither's the third. I think, I don't know if that's true. If it is true, it's why even ask for three? It's a completely flawed system. So I think you get to decide what you believe about that process because none of us really truly actually know. And it doesn't make logical sense for me. Last week in the GCLP, we had somebody say, I want ICU, but I'm scared to go all in on ICU because maybe the second and third preferences won't consider me because I went for ICU. And I'm like, in what world does it make sense, logical sense, where ICU don't take you and then the next tier of people aren't going to look at you and they're not going to consider you? It doesn't make any logical sense to me. Like, and I'm biased. I think anybody that's applying for ICU, critical care, those kind of specialties really have drive, ambition, motivation. So do other specialties for sure. But it takes a unique person or a specific type of individual to apply for those programs. So why wouldn't you then want them in medicine or surgery or stroke or, you know, any of these other specialties, you know, that are the second preference. So I think you get to decide, Taylor. And I personally would just make sure that if you can, tailor your applications specifically to that first health service, really show them that you're really interested and also have a flavor of the other two just in case. Like that's the best that we can do with what we have. Don't let your brain run wild and like, oh my God, I need to do X, Y, and Z. Really just show them your interest in the first one. And then the other two, we can scatter it through your cover letter, your selection criteria responses, your application. And you know, the rest is up to them. And I always say, if if a preference doesn't choose you, then it's not meant for you. Like, like just t- try that belief on. They don't pick you, it's not meant for you. And if they do pick you, that's great, okay? And we can keep moving forward. I always like to remind people that all paths lead to Rome and that it doesn't matter whether you get it now or whether you get it in three years' time. If you have a goal and you really want it, you will make it happen, my friends, okay? Any final questions as we wrap up? Such good questions. I love this. There's so many of you here, which is awesome. This is your time. Ask any questions you might have about applications, interviews, mindset, confidence, One thing I will touch on in confidence whilst you maybe are thinking of a final question is this idea or belief that confidence can be taken by other people or taken by the process. Some of you will really need to hear this. Confidence is a feeling that we generate internally through our thinking, okay? I want you to think about where in your graduate nursing career, your life, are you literally giving away all of your power to other people? When you outsource your confidence to other people, to other things, I will be confident when I get the grant. I will be confident when somebody gives me an interview. You are literally setting yourself up for failure, okay? Because you're reliant on other people giving you confidence. And that's just not how the world works, okay? If you think about your own confidence and how much confidence you have created within yourself to get yourself here, it's been created and generated through your brain, through the thoughts that you choose to think, subconsciously and consciously, about 
your confidence and about your capabilities. So going into an interview, we had somebody last week say, you know, someone told me that based on my interview responses that I would be too confident. So I feel less confident now. It doesn't logically make sense, but they were outsourcing all of their confidence to this individual that they did not value their opinion of. They did not know. They did not care about. So do not let other people take your confidence. It's actually impossible for them to do it, but don't convince yourself that they can. Okay. You are confident through the thoughts that you choose to think. So choose empowering thoughts that light you up, that move you forward, even if there's evidence to the contrary. Okay. You get to decide what you think every single time. So group interview tips. Oh God, Natalie, where do we start? So group interview tips. I need a little drink. This is not vodka. It's water. Mm. So Group interview tips, treat it like a one-on-one interview, okay? You're gonna go, you're gonna do all the things ahead of time. You're gonna prepare, you're gonna research the organization, you're gonna come up with your best interview notes. If you want help with interview notes and creating your best interview notes, you need to come and join us in the GCLP or join our interview course. Our step-by-step, we'll step you through all of that. You must take interview notes in with you. You can absolutely practice your answers ahead of time. And when you go to group interviews, it's about reading the room. It's about showing them that you can be part of a team whilst also contributing, okay? So non-variables are really important. Lots of over-exaggeration of smiling and eyes and paying attention and active listening and finding opportunities to tap in and join and connect and to provide perspective or to add another layer. Always, always, always be the first person, okay? Many of you are going to sit there and be terrified. Be the first person, volunteer, they're watching absolutely every move. They're watching how you interact with people. They're watching if you talk over people. They're watching to see if you are receptive and responsive. They're watching to see if you're respectful and kind and accommodating. They're looking to see if you also challenge in a positive way. So really thinking about how you want to show up in that situation and allowing yourself to know that you're going to be terrified and do it anyway, right? Feel the fear and do it <laughs> for sure. Jump in and contribute. And those are kind of my top tips. Also, it might be worthwhile thinking about, you know, again, the same rules apply. List, star, scenario. Is this a list style question? Are they asking us just to tell a story? Is this a star? Do we need to create an example from our past and contribute? Or is it a scenario where I can keep adding where I can keep adding information to the scenario. Somebody's missed something. Try and find the gaps where possible and show them your depth of knowledge. Hopefully that helps. Obviously, any kind of group interview day or any kind of recruitment day, just consider this idea that the minute you step out of your car, you are like on show for the day, okay? <laughs> Make sure that you present yourself the whole day the way you want to be seen and perceived. They're watching all of the time, okay? Whether that's right or wrong, they're watching. I hope that helps. Jamie, thoughts on buzzwords themes that are most asked in mental health interviews? Oh, that's a good one. So buzzwords, you guys can help me out here. Give me some ideas of some buzzwords, some themes. So mental health, let's think about what does an ideal mental health nurse look like? If you could have the best mental health graduate nurse right in front of you, what would they look like? So we're thinking about therapeutic relationships, right? Empathy, ability to de-escalate, right? Ability to escalate care, multidisciplinary team collaboration, think about sustainable discharge planning, quality and safety, risk mitigation, right? Patient experience, patient-centered care, like this really patient-empowered approach. All of these would be kind of key themes. And then think about the words that would associate with them, right? So active listening, non-variables, empathy, holding space, psychological safety, 
some key buzzwords that you might think of. Risk mitigation, incident reporting, policy and procedure, like de-escalation tactics, right? Any of those kind of pathways that we use. Documentation, the importance of documentation, right? That's going to be a key word as well. So thinking about what is an ideal mental health, this is a great a question and great thing for all of you to do. If you're applying for mental health, peds, surgical, palliative care, whatever it might be, what does an ideal version of this graduate nurse look like? Or this nurse, if you're not a grad? And then what are all the potential question themes that might come up for this type of nurse? And then like, what does a day in the life look like? What are they, cha what are they challenged by? What do they experience? And then what are some of the key theme buzzwords? Now, those buzzwords you can also take from their job application. Now, a little top tip for those that are tech savvy and like ChatGPT, you can use ChatGPT to copy and paste the position description over and ask ChatGPT, what are the 10 most repeated words in this application? Right. And those 10 words you definitely want to take as key buzzwords you want to mention. Some of them will be like hospital. Right. And, you know, you can ask chat GPT for like five more. But that will give you a quick start in analyzing what the potential questions could be. You could also use chat GPT to ask them what question themes might come up. Bearing in mind, it's often quite American and it doesn't always translate, but it's a starting point for you. So that's a little top tip there. Jawaira, if we're asked a question, we're not too sure on the answer, what should we do? I love this question. So if you don't know, what would you do clinically if you didn't know? You would be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's a problem with you being honest in the interview, but we always want to try, right? So if they ask you any question, a list, a star, a hypothetical question, we simply just say, that's a great question. I'm stumped. You can be so honest in your own unique way. That's a really great question. I need some time to think about that question. Can I come back to that question later? Okay, you can always delay. And in the GCLP and all of our programs, we teach you the delay tactics and the strategies that we teach our grads to use where you can create one, two, three, four, five potential opportunities to answer the same question. Okay, so it's a myth that you only have one go. Okay, you have more than one go because you create more than one go for yourself. So when you're asked about a question that you have no clue with, you literally just say, can I come back to that question later? That's a great question. Make a joke of it. That's a really good question. Do you mind if I think about that and come back to it? Let's go to the next question and create some space in your brain to allow your brain to stop freaking out and then go to a place where you're like, okay, what was it a list, a star, a hypothetical? Then from there, what examples do I have? How can I best answer this question? Okay, and allow yourself to like regulate your nervous system so that when it comes back around, you then have the other opportunity. And look, it's never okay to leave an interview and not answer a question. Do not do that. It literally, you're writing yourself off. Okay, so you can delay, you can ask them to repeat the question, you can ask them to paraphrase the question. They might not do that, they might do that depending on the panel. You can ask for a minute to think, you can check your notes. There are so many different ways that you can delay the panel and create some space for yourself. And then worst case scenario, you really, really don't know, you just step them through it. You just say, look, I'm really struggling with this question, but I'm gonna give it a red hot go. And this is what I think I would do. And you can even ask them, you could say, is this along the lines of what you're thinking? Is this along the lines of what you're looking for? And they will tell you, they'll say, yeah, that's great. Or they'll say, actually, we were like, tell us more about this. And I want to make you all aware of the fact that when people prompt you in an interview, one, don't expect it because they're technically not supposed to. But if they do prompt you, it's lovely. Do not see it as a negative. Don't think you've messed up. I was going to swear. Don't think you've messed up. See it as an opportunity. 
to just pivot your answer and listen to them. What are they really looking for and pivot and give them more information. Don't allow your brain to shut you down. Okay, we see it happen all the time. We give people an opportunity, like an extra opportunity, or we nudge them towards the answer, which by the way, panels shouldn't do because they need to do it for everybody if they do it for you. But that aside, see it as an opportunity to dive deep and to grow. It's an amazing, like, you know, green card. It's like a little extra pass. So take that and run with it. Any final questions? I know I said that, like, I'm going to finish off at, like, 12.40. So any final questions that you guys have? Oh, I have loved this. I love coming on and answering the questions, seeing what everybody is exploring. You're welcome, Jawaira. You're welcome. It's, Interviews are challenging <laughs> and I don't want anybody to struggle. Literally our goal this year is to make sure that every graduate nurse is, has a job. Okay, so if you haven't consumed our free guide, our free application resume guide and interview guide, go and download it. All of the links are in our show notes, the bio, in the bio link on Instagram, or just simply message me and I'll send you the link directly. And if you are somebody that's looking for graduate nursing support, there's still time to come and join us, okay? Queensland's open. There are other programs open across the country. We're helping with Ramsey, ACT, Calvary, Bay Health just closed earlier this week. So now we're in the interview preparation stages for most of these programs, PMCV. We have our GCLP, which is our whole one-stop shop done with you program. And we have our graduate interview course, which you can also buy. It's a much cheaper rate and you can dive in, get everything that you need to be able to tackle all of the things there. Jamie, I had someone prompt me once, non-grad interview, and it was because they wanted me to do well. Absolutely. Run with that. Like if they're prompting you, they're like getting you over the edge. Okay. So don't, don't let your brain bullshit you into thinking that you've done a shit job. Okay. See it as an opportunity. See it as like, oh my God, it's a, it's a lifeline. It's a golden ticket. Right. I love that, Jamie. Tessel, Tessel, I hope I got your name right, sorry. Any tips for PMCV question answer, answer interview? Yes, join our interview course. <laughs> I'm not joking. In our interview course, you can actually practice with 40 questions, video recorded online interview questions that are timed ahead of time. So if you want the link to that, let me know. In a nutshell, it's all about prepping your answers ahead of time. We don't know what they're gonna ask, but we do know how to answer list, star, and hypothetical questions, and we cover all of that in our course. We're currently running that discounty, so if you want the link to that, we can send it to you. And you can literally practice for every potential scenario, pediatric, mental health, peri-op, emergency, ICU, I think we got community, mental health, all of the things are in there and you can practice and we will give you feedback as well in there. So this morning, that's what I spent my morning doing today is reviewing people's PMCV interview questions and they're looking good, right? People are really like leaning into the process and the biggest thing that I see you guys struggle with, that's not my bottle of wine, that's somebody else's bottle of wine. The biggest thing I see you guys struggle with is the fact that you are not going deep enough with your responses and that you are overthinking. Okay, you are overthinking and not trusting the skills, knowledge and experience that you have. Okay, so that would be my top tip is looking at how far you've come and how you have everything you need to succeed in the PMCV interviews. If you need more and you want to top up your skill set, can you hear that wine? That is hilarious. This is, <laughs> this is, somebody's had a good time for sure. The wine bottle smashing in the background. If you are somebody that is looking to really practice and hone in your skills, because ultimately you don't want your first time to interview being the actual real life pre-recorded interview, come and practice in our GCLP interview course and we can send you all the information for that. But this has been awesome. I've loved checking in with everybody. Let me know if you think this has been valuable. I love coming on. If you have any questions, 
applications, interviews, anything non-graduate nursing related as well. I just got an email today from an amazing nurse who is a non-grad, has been qualified for many years and has just landed a lecturing position. So super, super amazing. We help all nurses across the career. Jawaira, last question. Okay, so then, sorry, another quick question for PMCV interview question. Should we speak for the whole length of time we have? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Use the time that you have. See, I want you to think about the two minutes is like $2,000. Give them $2,000 worth of value. Okay. Like think about it in that way. I am filling the time. I'm giving them everything that they need. This is where the practice is really important. Jawara, like really practicing under a timed pressure environment, which we've simulated in our interview course will be super valuable for you. If you want the link, then we can send that through to you. Like I said, it's discounted at the moment and we have access to like, what is it, Clarina and all of the things that have to pay all of that in there, but it's hugely valuable and you have it for life. You can use it time and time again. Okay, it's an investment in your career for the rest of your life. So it's hugely, hugely valuable. Jamie, you're welcome. Alrighty, I'm going to love you and leave you. Have a beautiful day and I will see you all in DM chat or on the next live. I'll chat to you soon. Good luck with your interviews. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I'm so privileged that you spent your time with us here today. Hey, can I ask a favor? If you know someone that would benefit from this podcast episode, please share it with them. The more you share, the more we get in front of amazing nurses and we're able to help them see that nursing on their terms across their career is totally possible for them. So I'd love if you could do that. Now, I will see you in the next episode next week. Until then, let's make this year the year that you nurse on your terms. Are you ready? Let's do it.